Thanks for joining us on this week's episode of Gateway to the Smokies. This podcast is about America's most visited national park, the Great Smoky Mountains National Park, and the surrounding towns. This area is filled with ancient natural beauty, a deep storied history, and rich mountain cultures that we explore with weekly episodes. I am Joseph Franklin McElroy, a man of the world, but also with deep roots in these mountains. My family has lived in the Great Smokies for over 200 years. My business is in travel, but my heart is in Smoky Mountain culture. Today's episode, we'll continue our understanding of the founding of the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and how photography was instrumental in its creation. But first, I'm going to tell you that I just got back from the Smokies, and there are beautiful. I'm in New York, so I got a fake background if you're watching on Zoom, but I'm, I'm down there all the time. We were just down there for two weeks, my, me and my family, uh, and it was a wonderful. And all our families were there, the grandmothers on both sides, the aunts and uncles, my grown son, Ethan, and my grandpa, and Grandpa McElroy. Boy, the, uh, the, my toddler twin, twins just loved him. <laughs> and they were also well overwhelmed just by the experience of it. They hadn't been there in a year because we've been stuck in New York because of quarantine. And they got to see groundhogs and rabbits and squirrels and trout and all sorts of birds. I mean, we, had, I mean, we must have seen red birds and yellow birds and blue birds and robins. And they wanted to know all about every one of them. And it was just fantastic giving that experience. That experience. And this was all just in the backyard, the back recreation area of the Middle Ark Motel, which is our mountain resort. Um, and uh, they were just tickled. And my wife, she got to plant a lot of flowers including a new wildflower bed at, uh, at the motel. Uh, it was absolutely refreshing, I'll tell you. And we got to go to one of the top barbecue joints in America, the Hazelwood Smokehouse. I recommend it highly. They have eight different sauces, and every one is better than the previous one. And in Asheville, I took my wife on a birthday dinner outing to a great foodie joint called Jargon. It had great food. I had uh, a, a smoked trout dip. And then I had this trout dish. I went all trout that night, and it was just unbelievably good. Uh, but uh, they have these incredible cocktails. I made one out of a ball of ice that was hollow, and they actually poured the mixed, the hollow ice. And it was sort of a mix between an old-fashioned and a Manhattan. And then when they served it to you, they took out a little hammer and busted the ball. <laughs> it was a dramatic, dramatic presentation. So I tell you, the mountains are smoking. It's a great place to go. Um, it's also about to have a lot of uh, 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 I just lost the name. I just lost the name. It's the the cicadas. It's the cicada apocalypse about to, is about to happen. Uh, be on the lookout. It's 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 a rare natural phenomenon, historical event that's unfolding right now, and it'll go through mid July, and it's going to be billions. Of, uh, of these 17-year these periodical cicadas. And they're, they're going to emerge across a wide swath of the eastern United States, including the Great Smoky Mountains. And it's going to be loud. They're very loud. Um, and these periodical cicadas comprise a group of species that don't emerge yearly, but uh, like uh, every 13 or 17-year cycles. And this is the 17 Year cycles, and they're already getting reports of them emerging near Knoxville. Uh, and we expect them to be all across basically the western part of the mountains, 
the Smokies, so uh, from Looking Rock to Cades Cove area. So uh, it's a historical event. You should go see it. I also wanted to mention that um, there's a uh, there's a Smoky Science series that's returning uh, to, uh, to to do it with, and it's going to start with a spotlight on butterflies. Um, so the, the 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 first one is with Warren Bylenberg. He he spends a lot of time photographing Southern Appalachia butterflies in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park, um, and you might you might uh, you'll find out why we talk about photo- I'm emphasizing photography. But uh, he willingly admits that uh, he is. Uh, it did, he didn't really start this journey of butterfly discovery in earnest until he retired, but now he's doing it wholeheartedly, and, and he's been volunteering at Caves Code. Uh, I read a quote for him. One day there was a family of three with a little girl, maybe 11 or 12 years old, near a group of blue butterflies along the road, he said. I went over and said, they look like pipevine swallowtails. But then the little girl immediately corrected me and said, no, those are spice, spice bush swallowtails. <laughs> I had never heard of them, but she pointed out a very subtle difference between the two. So he had to learn. Um, uh, so uh, he's going to help other, he's going to help everybody dive into the world of these Southern Appalachian butterflies on Friday, May 21st. So that's coming up. Uh, and it's, it's being organized by Discover Life in America. And it's got a free science at Sugarlands speaker series. And Sugarlands is the is the gateway is the is the gateway to the Smokies in Gatlinburg, and they have a whole you know, science center and things like this. And there's going to be a six part education series, uh, and it should be it should be very nice. Um, it was uh, it was uh, the series was created in 2017. I think it took a break last year, but it gives regional sciences scientists a chance to share their research with a general audience and answer questions and discuss the latest issues affecting regional biodiversity and conservation. And this year, there will be, there will be an annual, the, the annual speaker series start, goes from, uh, will also be online from one to three on the third Friday of every month. And it's, re- and it's free registration at DLIA.org. Uh, I want to remind you, that wildflowers is always a big thing in the spring, and it's still happening. It goes through June. Uh, the great because you know you think there's a small short season for wildflowers, but in the mountains, what happens is you, it, the wildflowers start in the lower elevation, and then as the as the season gets warmer, it gets warmer and warmer up the up the mountain. So different parts of the mountain start having wildflowers later in the season. So we have it actually a long wildflower flower season in the Smoky Mountains, and it makes for great hiking and a different hiking experience every time you go. You know, it's uh, blackberries are blooming now, and I love blue blackberries, and they'll bloom through June, and then they'll start having blackberries in July and making the bears happy and making me happy because I love blackberry cobbler. I grew up eating blackberry cobbler. I remember going and picking that, and I'll probably have a whole podcast just about blackberries in August. Um, now, speaking of wildflowers, uh, my guest is, uh, has a connection to the uh, Cornell Library, so I was pursuing the Cornell Library uh, website, and, uh, and I found out they do a, a daily haiku, and the days 
was about wildflowers. And I had just done this, you know, thinking about what the podcast was. And I said, well, this is really, uh, uh, you know, uh, opportunistic <laughs> for me to take the, and talk <laughs> about this. But you can find it at haiku.manlive, M-A-N-N-L-I-V dot Cornell dot A-D-U. And this one is by an author named Kat Lehman. And, it, and, it's, and, it's, and all these haikus are simple but beautiful. Just another anonymous kindness. Wildflowers. And then another by Carol Purrington. Wildflower field colors that don't get, go together. Do. And then Tom Painting wrote, Ending in wildflowers, the logging road. And for those of you who are not into hiking, you can also ride around in the mountains, so don't forget that, especially a motorcycle. So I found this haiku as well. Biker's headlights threading down the mountains, moonless night. So my guest today is Janet McHugh, who enjoyed a great career as the former director of the Mann Library at Cornell University while earning a stellar reputation as an award-winning independent writer and researcher. She is an avid hiker and naturalist who often visits and writes about the Great Smokies. She has collaborated with a renowned local naturalist, George Ellison, on several literary projects, most notably Back of Beyond, a Horace Kephart biography. And it was the winner of the prestigious Thomas Wolfe Literary Award. It has received rave reviews and now she's also currently working, I think, on a book and a documentary film on another important founder of the Smokies, George Massa. Uh, she and her husband actually live in the Fink, uh, up in the New York area, and I think the, uh, in, near New Rochelle. Uh, we were just talking about that. So welcome, Janet. Well, thank you, Joseph, for that nice introduction. Wow. I'm glad you started with um, some poetry because I hear you too are a poet. Um, so we'll have, we'll have I've dabbled. I've dabbled a bit a lot. I, my my biggest claim to fame in terms of poetry is I had a I had a, a poem published on the jumbotron in Times Square on Valentine's Day. <laughs> oh, well, that's almost as good as Man Library's website. <laughs> <laughs> so so you had a great career at Cornell and and, and you have the stellar reputation. Can tell you? Can you tell us some about your proudest accomplishment prior to this new? Uh, journey of historic historic mountain uh, lore? Well, I, you know, I, I did have a wonderful career at Mann Library. I, when I think about how that career changed when I started as a librarian in 1979, um, my career looked a lot like what Horace Kephart's career did. In, in 1890, he wrote an article on being a librarian. And um, it starts with you know, he's trying to do some work and a, and a bevy of sophomores come at the desk with a, with a flurry of different kinds of questions. And that's exactly what the reference desk was like when, when I started my career. Um, when I ended my career, though, it was very much a digital world. And um, I loved being able to grow up as a librarian within that very dynamic, um, very dynamic uh, world. Um, but, you know, a couple of things that I'm really proud of in terms of my career. One, we built and we, we, we took a building that was designed in the 1930s 
um, but not built until the 1950s and um, created a, a, a library that um, was so flexible that you could move through different periods of, of digital and, and print information. Um, it had a very collaborative um, style to it. So students could, you know, work in groups of two, work in groups of five. It was no longer the, the hushing kind of library, um, but it was very much a, a, a vibrant um, place. The other thing I, I loved, and, and I allude to this in your, um, your poetry, we, we tried to blend science and, and art. We had a gallery in our library. Um, we had haiku that um, was presented every, every morning, um, and mm-hmm. we had subscribers from all over the world. You know, um, I'm in your library, by the way. Did you've you know? been to the library. No, not, I am actually have work in your library. Oh, come on, Joseph. Are you serious? I do. You, you have the Rose Goldson Archive of New Media Art. And in <laughs> there is the computerfinearts.com. And I have two pieces in that collection. Oh, my gosh. That's amazing. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, that, that <laughs> we do. I mean, Rose Goldson's collection is extraordinary. Yeah. But you know, that that is in the special collections, and I was in I was in more the science end of Cornell. But in the last five years of my career, I was in the same library that held the um, Rose Goldson. So we did. We were in the same library. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'll have to go look in the catalog. <laughs> there. I imagine so, it's probably not working right now. You have to go back to that library because Flash is no longer working on uh, on most people's computers these days. I have to. Figure out how to, that's something that librarians need to figure out how to do is what are you going to do about technology that ages out? That's, uh, that's, that's yeah. one, one of the major, I mean, even, I mean, I retired seven years ago and that was still one of the things that, you know, yeah. that was puzzling us and it's still puzzling us. So you're yeah. right. <laughs> well, I'm about to go to break, but I don't want to, I, I want to mention two things I really was impressed by. You hired the first metadata data library at Perpetual. And I'm big on metadata. It's become part of the, the under, infrastructure of the internet. And you also led the renovation of the Mon Library to make it have a create a sustainable cafe, which, you know, I'm big into sustainability. And Metalark is a Three Pine Sustainable designated uh, um, lodging and only one west of Asheville. So, anyway, when we come back, we're going to talk more about your research into Horace and George. Okay, we'll look forward to it. Howdy, this is Joseph Franklin McElroy back with the Gateway to the Smokies podcast and my guest, Janet McHugh. So, Janet, you know, I forgot to mention, um, do you come to the Cornell Club in New York City? Occasionally. When I take the bus from um, from um, campus, the campus-to-campus bus is a godsend for linking uh, upstate New York, Ithaca, to um, – to to Manhattan. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes, the, the Cornell Club is a des- our destination. Well, you know why I ask is because uh, we actually, Duke does not have a club, but uh, Duke made a deal with Cornell, and I'm able to go to that club, too. Oh! <laughs> so it's nice, yeah. Uh, little synchronicities all over the place here. <laughs> well, we can, um, we'll have to have a drink sometime at one of the... <laughs> 
We'll have to. <laughs> one right? of the watering spots there. Maybe they'll have a, one of those uh, ice balls and they'll crack it in front of me. That'd be great. <laughs> so you had a you had a great career at Cornell. So how did you get into writing a book about Horace Kephart, the founder oh. of the uh, Great Smoky Mountains co-founder? Yeah, it is a bit. It is a bit odd that a woman who, um, uh, a woman who works at Cornell and lives in upstate New York, would um, delve into for the last forty years about a man who, who was born in Iowa and um, spent the last, you know, thirty years of his life in in uh, in the Smokies. But you know, there were lots of intersections, which which I, I you know, people were often surprised at the intersections. I mean, my first one was my husband had a copy of Kephart's Camping and Woodcraft, um, a copy of his book um, on his bookshelf. And um, he, in many respects, he taught us how to build a campfire. I mean, we were both city kids. I grew up in Pittsburgh. He grew up in cities all over the world. Um, Neither of our parents taught us how to build a a campfire. So we we learned a lot from Horace Kephart's book. Um, We also were avid backpackers and one of our first trips was into the Smokies um, and we had several um, subsequent trips to the Smokies including one when we went to Bryson Place which was Cornell's which was uh, Kephart's um, uh, a favorite spot that he had um, spent a great deal of time in particularly in the summers Um, so the Smokies and the beauty of the Smokies were really what drew me to to Kephart's story, because as far as I knew, you know, Kephart played an instrumental role in the establishment of the Smokies. I would learn that, you know, little tidbits of the story as, as on these backpacking trips. Um, and when I came to um, I came to grad school at the University of Michigan, um, I had learned from my husband that Kephart had been a librarian, and I decided to do a research paper at some point for a research methods class on, on Kephart and discovered his career as a librarian, discovered um, George Ellison's introduction to our Southern Highlanders, read Kephart's books, um, and you know became even more interested in the man. Um, and as luck would have it, my first job was at Cornell, and Cornell's career as a librarian started um, at at Cornell. Um, Kephart's career started. Oh, it did? Exactly. I didn't know that. Yeah, wow. <laughs> so he, he came to Cornell as a grad student in history and in um, uh, political science. And he, um, he, he, he uh, began, began working in the libraries and um, was hired by, the first, by Cornell's first librarian, Willard Fisk. And in fact, went to Italy with Fisk and... Um, and help collect and help catalog the Petrarch and Dante collection, which Cornell has. So um, you had lots of connections into Cornell, and I was at Cornell. Um, I used to do research on Saturday mornings in the archives um, and, you know, learned, again, learned more about Kephart. But then, you know, I had kids, I had a busy career, and I put them on the back burner for many years. Um, And then I was... Uh, doing a cross-country ski trip with a group of friends. And um, one of my friends asked me what I wanted to do before I died. And um, I listed a couple things. One was taking dance lessons with my husband, um, <laughs> which I think because it was on that death list, he actually did it with me. He took dance <laughs> lessons with me. 
But also on that list was um, do something with my Kephart research. And she asked me a very important question. She said, what's stopping you? And um, so I had to answer that question that nothing was stopping me. So I, um, I applied for a research leave and went to St. Louis, went to um, Western North Carolina archives, went to Brown University and various um, archival collections that, that filled in more gaps on, you know, on, on Kephart's story. And then in 2009, I met George Ellison. Um, Libby Kephart Hargrave is a great granddaughter of, of Horace um, Kephart and his. She was, she was just on our show. Yeah. Right, right. So, you, you know, all, all your listeners know all about Kephart, but Libby um, established something called Kephart Days and a librarian from um, Alaska, believe it or not, told me about Kephart Days and because he knew of my interest in Kephart. And um, so I decided to go down and that's where I met George. That's where I met Libby. Um, I had, you know, a, a, a group of friends and colleagues that um, I am honored to have in my life today um, who have helped me tremendously. So at that point, George was writing an introduction to um, a new edition of Camping and Woodcraft. And he asked me to collaborate with him because he knew that I had done um, research on Kephart's early career, on his breakdown, um, the whole uh, um, trauma that actually led Kephart to um, to the Smokies. And um, so we had a great collaboration. And um, well, that was the, that's the one that ended up being like an 80 page introduction, right? Yes, it was. <laughs> <laughs> I just I. I was doing my research. I, I saw it, and um, I didn't get a chance to read it because it, I, it wasn't available. Usually, I try to find everything online, but this one wasn't available online. So, what was, what, what, what was the what was the what was the gist of your introduction? Well, you know, it was pretty much a biography in, really? yeah. in the making, right? And right. in fact, after we wrote that introduction, um, the Great Smoky Mountains Association, Steve Kemp, was the um, was the publications director at the time. He asked us if we could expand it into a full full length biography. Um, and so it was it was really from my perspective, it was the start of, of my collaboration with George, which was, you know, just a pure pleasure. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a wonderful writer and, you know, his knowledge of he lived in the Smokies. I didn't live in the Smokies. And, you know, we could blend our both our voices as well as our, our knowledge base um and and be able to you know write a full-length biography um so so do you and your do you do you um do you get to come down uh did you get to come down quite a bit for the smoke in the smokies when you were when you were doing that book uh, did you uh, we i did yes i spent um a good portion of, of uh i would try and come down just like you say come down in the spring um which yeah. was you know, I, I fell in love with the Smokies as a as a young person, and you know, so coming back to see Yellow Trillium or Painted Trillium, or you know, my my have a vivid memory of of a of a hike when we were at the top of um, the top of a trail, and we were at treetop level in tulip poplar land, tulip poplar land, and just being able to smell a tulip poplar blossom oh, um, yeah. on a you know on a trail on a hiking trail is, is, is just incredible. Yeah. I had my first taste of ramps in the Smokies. You know, I, you know, I, I, I think I became aware of the beauties of nature um, through the Smokies. 
it's so weird to me that ramps have become so popular. I know. I know. Like Whole Foods. Yeah, it's like I grew up and I, you know, I used to distinguish myself by telling people, you know, I grew up, you know, I ate ramps when they were go, what's ramps? And you know, I'd get to tell them all about it. Now it's like they already know. It's took it away one of my standards. <laughs> Well, but yeah, the, my it, first taste of a rip was, you know, some fishermen. Um, you know, we thought we were in the middle of middle of a wilderness because we had been hiking for, you know, our hiking trips were like a week to 10 days. We hadn't seen anybody. And then we ran across these fishermen one day who offered us bacon and ramps and um, something else. I can't remember. But, you know, bacon, bacon in the middle of a hiking trip was... Scrambled eggs. But, you know, you know uh, one of the great... Uh, dishes for ramps is to do scrambled eggs and bacon grease with a side of bacon and ramps in the, in the scrambled eggs. It's just unbelievably good. You know, yeah. that Waynesville in, in Haywood County near Maggie Valley, where I have my motel, has uh, the long, I think it's one of the longest running uh, natural food festivals in the nation. And it's called the, the, the Waynesville Ramp Festival. It's every August, I think it is. I think they're going to resume it this year, and it's a worthwhile culinary experience. Oh, that would be good, yeah. Just all the different kinds of foods you can get from this mountain delicacy that's now become somewhat uh, an in thing. And uh, right, you, know, right. in, you in see the, it on restaurant menus. Oh, yeah. you see it all yeah. over the place. So, <laughs> so you have any other favorite hiking spots before we go to the break? Well, I'm going to mention one because I got an email message from a colleague of mine called Ken Wise. And I actually lost my wedding ring in the Smokies. Um, we had. So you're married to the Smokies now. <laughs> I am. Married. I'm looking for a fisherman to find my to find my wedding ring. I, it was a day where it, it you know torrential rain. We had maybe 15 stream crossings, and um, at some point I slipped on a rock. Uh, I was like a turtle in the water with my backpack pulling me down, and before my brain could tell my finger to curl the current just pulled the wedding uh, ring off of my off of my finger so it was um i think of the noland creek area as being um a you know both a a, a traumatic spot but a, a certainly a memorable spot and my friend ken said that um he says uh he was recently backpacking there and he scanned the creek a bit to see if i could find your missing ring your ring is somewhere in the creek um, but, and he couldn't help, but look up and down any of the creeks to see if he could find it. And he said, of course, when the water flows over a rock, the water sparkles just like a diamond. <laughs> <laughs> so now we're going to crowdsource everybody crowdsource finding her wedding <laughs> ring. All right. So when we come back to the, uh, the, 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 from the break, we'll talk uh, more about the books and your new books coming out. Okay. Thank you. This is Joseph Franklin McElroy, uh, back with the Gateway to the Smokies podcast, and my guest Janet McHugh. So, uh, Janet, you you have a, you have a collaboration out already, a nice book that is actually considered one of the most definitive works or bios on Kephart ever written. It's called Back of Beyond, and uh, it's received rave reviews. So, uh, so uh, this was published by the Great Smoky Mountains Association, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Tell, 
the, you know, that Francis Figure, uh, Figart and, and Libby Kephart Hargrave have both been guests. And they're having a call for that. Uh, well, I'm in uh, good company then. You're in good company. What was it like to work with the Great Smoky Mountain Association? They're a good company, right? Oh, it was wonderful. I mean, you yeah. know, I, I think both George and I felt it was important to publish through the Smokies because we wanted profits from the book mm-hmm. to 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 go to um, support the Smokies programs and to support the, the Smokies Park. Um, Kephart's story is so much about the um, protection of, of the Great Smoky Mountain National Park. Um, he said that, you know, he felt that the mountains had saved his life. And that was, you know, the last 10 years of his life were very focused on making sure that the park was established. Um, so George and I felt that same, felt that same commitment. But, you know, Francis was my editor. Um, we had worked with Steve Kemp for Camping and Woodcraft Introduction, but um, Steve retired and Francis was hired. And, and she was an absolute pleasure. Right. To work. Yeah. Um, she's a wonderful editor, an incredible storyteller, and she never... She never lost her temper at me and my use of commas. You know, I'm, I'm a, <laughs> I, I know she kept trying to teach me, but I didn't have time to learn all the rules of commas and she knew yeah, them all. That's um, great. No, no, truly, I, I was reading a book um, the other night and uh, I finished it and I said to my husband, This person needed Francis. This person needed. <laughs> um, that, you know, she seems like she's very, moment. very, very confident. You know, I am. Uh, I really like the, the Great Smoky Mountains Association because, again, all, all the proceeds go to help you know, the support of the Great Smoky Mountain Park because, you know, there is no entrance fee to the park. So it has to right. have a way to support. You know, when I uh, I created uh, uh, my storefronts and everything for this, I made the decision to go, uh, for the most part, instead of through Amazon, to go through the GSMA. Mm-hmm. And that means I have to do shipping. But, uh, you know, we our books are also GSMA, what we sell. That's great. Uh, and, and it goes directly to support the Great Smoky Mountains and National. And, you know, um, we're going to be doing a lot of stuff about Kephart at the, the Metal Arc. We launched the Metal Arc Smoky Mountain Heritage Center. I hope you can. Uh, we're going to be doing a uh, num- number of programs on Kephart over the next year. I hope well, you can join us. All yeah. Right. Um, you uh, know, archives have been closed for such a long time. So, uh, you know, in the past year, I haven't been able to do any research in a, you know, in a remote location other than my own personal library or what I can find in a digital world. But I'm looking forward to being down both at, in Western North Carolina and in, in um, Tennessee because there yeah. are great archives in both places. Yeah. So in the meantime, this is what you know, I, want to, I want to learn more about. I don't know a lot about George Massa. And you're mm-hmm. working on both a book and a documentary film about him? Not not a documentary film. I'm not a filmmaker, uh, but I'm collaborating with um, Paul Bonesteel. And Paul did an absolutely wonderful film on George Massa, in which you can find online through through um, Venmo. So um, I'd, I'd, I'd definitely recommend... Um, uh, Watching his film, if you're at all interested in um, in George Massa, mm-hmm. um, George and, and Kephart. I like to think of Kephart's words and 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 Massa's photos being, you know, just this dynamic collaboration um, for inviting people to get to know the Smokies, to to appreciate the beauty that was there. I mean, that there weren't. A, you know, the nation didn't really know the Smokies in, 
1920 and 1930. Um, they were terra incognita. And um, I think it was through Kephart's words and, and George Moss's um, uh, photos that people got to know an area that, um, you know, became so beloved. I mean, right. smoke, as, as you mentioned, it doesn't have a, doesn't have an entrance fee, but it has, it's the most heavily used national park in the national park system. So um, people did discover it, but in those early years, um, people needed to know why it was worth being, you know, it, why it was worth um, protecting. And that's yeah. what I think both um, Kephart and, 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 and Massa did. Well, wasn't Massa considered Angel Adam of the of the East? Yes, yes, yeah. Yeah. he was. I mean, he's you know that, and his photography is, is exquisite. It is exquisite. I mean, he he, um, you know, I, I actually pulled out a couple of quotes that I thought I might um, I might read. Um, Kephart himself said that. Um, by judicious use of various ray filters and an uncanny skill and tiny exposures, he, Massa, has overcome the difficulties of haze and cloudy weather, which often balk an amateur photographer in the Smokies. The result is a series of about 50 views of wild mountains and gorges, deep forests and naked crags, trout streams and waterfalls, camp scenes, close-ups of blooming shrubs and wilderness wildflowers, the like of which is not to be found elsewhere than in Moss's collection. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, he, his photography was so far above, you know, a, a, a you know, a regular um, mm-hmm. photographer that uh, the head of the um, National Park Association, all kinds of um, people who had seen many, many photos of the Smokies praised Moss's as being far and above any of those other um didn't his, what didn't Jim Carnegie see his photos and decide to give five million dollars to the effort to create the well Rockefeller it's hard to know you know I went to the Rockefeller archives in Sleepy Hollow and we couldn't locate any any of Moss's photos there so he, he also had photos from Jim Thompson who was in um Knoxville uh-huh. that um and you know I um Steve Kemp is actually working on a book on Rockefeller now and maybe he'll be able to to Find dig up yeah. lots of photos. But uh, you know, Camera, who was the associate director of the National Park Service at the time, gathered all the photos that he could and took them to Rockefeller. But we don't know exactly which photos he took to to um, John D. Rockefeller Jr. But uh-huh. I think that was a is certainly an important element of um, well, photos are incredibly did, important. Yeah. Yeah, Massa did yeah. send a, a photo album to, to Coolidge. He sent one to each of the to the governor of North Carolina and the governor of Tennessee. So he and he did send Rockefeller's photo. We do have evidence that he sent a picture of Rockefeller to Rockefeller, and we have Rockefeller's response to him. Um, so you know he he was not shy about um, sharing the the beauty of his photography. So no, this is it's so interesting. He was came from Japan and he never became an American citizen. But I guess just his love of this this uh, this wilderness drove him to become such a, a passion. Well, he wouldn't have been allowed to be a, a citizen. Right. <laughs> you know, in, 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 in that time. Um, so he and there was an extraordinary amount of discrimination that um, and legislation that, you know, limited the number of, of people coming from um, Asian countries at that time. 
So we don't we know there's a lot we there's a lot we don't know about uh, about Moss's early life. Um, we have pretty good documentation from 1915 to 1933 when he died, um, but we do, we know very little um, yet about um, his early life. I mean, we know he came to this country, you know, maybe in in um, the 1910s, maybe earlier. I mean, we have some different information in, in, in different documents, um, where he lived, where his family lived. Um, you know, we're, we're still, we're still researching that area. Paul, Paul Bonesteel is who I'm, um, I'm working with. And in, in the, his film, the, his film, which he did, you know, more than 15 years ago was on, was called The Mystery of George Massa. And um, the mysteries surround his his, his early life, um, but he he um, what's remarkable to me he was hired um, to work in the laundry room at the Grove Park Inn um, in 1915. Five years later, he established his own um, photography studio in Asheville, and you know he was he was photographing the um, Biltmore Estates. He was. Uh, all the, you know, the Asheville City Hall, the high school, I mean, all the, all the important buildings um, that, and all the important infrastructure that was being, you know, created in those boom years of, of, of Asheville's um, um, history. You know, Massa was the man on the spot. I, I actually mm-hmm. watched a, um, um, a Ripley's Believe It or Not that, um, that Massa had done. Um, the, I, it was, you know, it was fun to see that, that, uh, I think it was Warren or, um, brothers that, um, that had, uh, uh, reissued the, um, these, these, these old Ripley's, believe it or not, but one of them, um, was. Oh, about was George? From, yeah. Yeah. It was I, George. I love that he started in the hospitality industry in the mountains. You know, yeah. The, he where I am. the Grove <laughs> Park Inn is, a, I mean, that's the, that's the. That's the premier. Uh, that was the premier uh, place for presidents, right, and right, it's still right. a beautiful place. Uh, yep. so. No, it's absolutely gorgeous. Uh, I, you know, that my husband and I, when we published the book, that was the first place we went for for dinner. Um, was the Grove <laughs> Park Inn, and uh, we did a tour of the Grove Park Inn and and had dinner out on the, uh, you know, out on the um, patio. It was just absolutely beautiful. Well, I look forward to taking the, the the kids to see the gingerbread houses at Christmas time. They mm-hmm, mm-hmm. elaborate ones; they're beautiful. Uh, well, so, you know, what, I'm so, just going to mention on the third. I think it's on the third floor. They have a television set up or a you know digital um, box set up, and they run continuously um, Paul's documentary, so you can watch it up there. Oh, okay, great. If you take the girls. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. So. Uh, uh, when we come back, you'll tell us about a little bit more about your book and you know, what your what your future plans are. Okay, thank you. This is Joseph Franklin McElroy back with the Gateway to the Smokies podcast and my guest, Janet McHugh. And we've been talking about George Massa. You know, I was, when I was reading about George, one of the, the, the stories that made me tear up was that he, he, you know, he died at 45 and he basically caught the flu, right? And 
and he couldn't afford anything any to really get treated and ended up in the sanitarium where he died. And he, in the great tragedies, he really wanted to be buried next to Kephart, and he couldn't afford it. That's sort of like sort of sad. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, well, you know, it was the middle of the Depression. I mean, yeah. and, you know, a, a photographer um, trying to eke out a living in the, in the middle of the Depression can't have been easy. And, um, you know, as it, as it turned out, I mean, Kephart himself wasn't buried in the Smokies. Um, Kephart's tombstone is in Bryson City. Um, and his was also, his was in a borrowed um, lot. I mean, no one expected that he would die in a, in a car accident and uh, also he was not a wealthy man and certainly neither was George Massa. Um, so it's neither of them were actually buried in the Smokies. And in fact, the Smokies policy was to, you know, rightly so was not to have uh, only if you were a family member of a, an original family who lived in the Smokies, could you, could yeah. you be buried there? Um, well, so, Bryson City is a gateway to the Smokies, so it, it, yeah, that's true. That's yeah, true. I, that whole area is actually Smoky Mountains. I consider I consider Haywood County Smoky Mountains. Yeah. So it's just not got the park name on it. Yeah. <laughs> well, while we're, ta- while we're talking about tombstones, um, people were surprised to hear that in Ithaca, in the Ithaca City Cemetery, there's a tombstone tombstone for Horace Kephart and for Laura, his wife. Oh, wow. And um, there, you know, George, or Kephart is is buried in Bryson City, but um, Laura and 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 Horace, although they never lived together after 1908, um, they uh, they re- remained married. And Laura always said she wanted to be buried by Kephart too. So, in addition to George Massa wanting to be buried by her, <laughs> his wife did too. Uh, the <laughs> wife did too. So, um, yeah. it turns out. You know, George George Massa is is part of um, the Riverside uh, Cemetery has a walking tour, and oh, Henry's there, Thomas Wolfe is there on this walking tour, but so is George Massa, and oh, I you wow. know I like that um, even even though he um, you know his the hiking club actually raised money to bury him, um, and the hiking club raised money to to um, erect a stone. This is the Carolina Mountain Club. They they raised the money to to erect a stone in his honor, and twenty years later they petitioned the government to name um, a a peak after after George Massa, you know. So he I, I like to think that although he may have died penniless, he did not die friendless. He had and he didn't die and he didn't die poor. He didn't die poor. Yep. He just died without yep. money. Yeah, yep. yeah. He sounds like he lived an incredible life. So when is your book about him coming out? Well, um, we think 2023. Um, we've had a big delay this past year because of our inability to do research, but um, mm. we've been working hard on all the, par- all the parts that we could do research on. Um, Japan right now is, is is having a bit of a um, a resurgence of, of COVID, and yeah. so it's it's difficult to do research in Japan as well. And 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 that both Paul and I are committed to, to, you know, uncovering anything we can about his early life. Um, That's that's a great thing. Oh yeah. um, So, so but we're hoping 2023 or the Smokies thinks we're, they, uh, can can, can I get a copy when it comes out? Maybe maybe you'll debut it on my podcast. (laughs) That would be fun. I promise a copy. That would be easy. 
Cool. And then, and I guess this can be sold through the Great Smoky Mountains Association mm -hmm. right? mm -hmm. yep. and eventually Amazon. So we'll look for it. I'll be sure to mention it when it comes out and hopefully you'll actually come on and tell me about it. <laughs> so any other projects you're working on uh, that you'd like to share with us? Well, the, the only project right now I'm working on is um, being a grandparent in waiting. Um, ah. my, my son and daughter-in-law are expecting a new child in the next week. So I'm actually not in the Finger Lakes area. I'm in um, New Rochelle right now, and I'm enjoying getting to know my 20-month-old grandson, whom we haven't seen for a long time. So we're, we're trying to um, relearn our skills for, for babysitting. So it's been <laughs> a real pleasure. That's good. You know, uh, I, you know I'm, uh, I'm of the age of babysitting with grandchildren, and I have you know, almost three-year-old twins, so... Uh, well, I, I, I can I can give you some insights from daily interaction. <laughs> <laughs> well, even getting up at six o'clock is a challenge for me. <laughs> so, are there any people you want to mention who helped you along the way in your research or anything like that? You know, that's a, that's a really good that's a really good question, um, Joseph. Because it, it's you know we we dedicated or I dedicated this book to all the librarians and archivists who have helped me along the way with with my research. But then there are countless number of people who, um, you, you know, who who read the manuscript, Ken Wise and George Frizzell, um, John White, who's a filmmaker. You know, when you do a book, you know, you know, X, Y and Z. You don't know A, B and C very well. So Raymond Bunn, um, I'm, I'm not I'm not a gunsmith. I'm not um, I know very little about guns, but Raymond Bunn helped us with that chapter. He, he was terrific. John White, who's a, um, a filmmaker and has studied um, Stark Love, which um, Kephart was a, um, a consultant on, you know, he read the chapter on, um, on uh, you know, on um, Kephart's work and Stark Love. So there were, you know, numerous people, people put me up. I mean, people who I didn't even know would, you know, let me live with them for a month, Chester and, and and um and and his wife just you know opened their house to me and it was you know ex extraordinary um bill bill hart and alice hart though won my heart um because bill has bill wrote the first article on george massa um and he uh opened up his you know his collection of material um, to allow me to to use it, and they opened up a bedroom. Alice, you know, has a room that yeah. she's designated Janet's bedroom, um, and you know, in, well, in Asheville. So there are great. a host yeah, of people. A lot of people. So I want to thank you for being on my show. All thank right. you. It's been a real pleasure in, uh, having a conversation, um, and uh, we look forward to promoting your books uh, and. Uh, and um, and the things that you're doing in the future. Now I have to do my shout outs. <laughs> well, Joseph, yeah. I appreciated being here. It was oh. just a pleasure to talk with you. And I'm going to have to go look in the Rose Goldson archive and there find you go. <laughs> in the Cornell libraries. <laughs> so uh, this podcast you can find on gateways to the smokies.fun, where you can find a newsletter you can subscribe to to find out. Uh, what upcoming events and and and, uh, and podcasts are, uh, are are coming down the pike, um, and we will also feature there various books and and things like that relevant relevant to our guests. Now, I want you to imagine a place evocative of motor courts of the past, yet modern and vibrant, with a chic Appalachian feel. 
a place uh, for adventure and for relaxation. Imagine a place where you can fish in the Mountain Heritage Trout Stream, grill the catch on a fire, and eat accompanied by fine wine and craft beers. Imagine a place where, with old-time music and world cultural sounds, there is no other place like the Meadowlark Motel in Maggie Valley, North Carolina. Your Smoky Mountain adventure starts with where you stay. To find out about the Smokies, go to SmokiesAdventure.com, S-M-O-K-I-E-S, Adventure.com, which is an information resource listing events and outdoor activities that you can experience in the mountains. Next week on this podcast, we're having Leslie Hartley, Communications Director of the Blue Ridge Heritage Area, who will talk about Blue Ridge culture, which the Smoky Mountains is part of. I want to give a shout out to this network that we are part of, talkradio.nyc. Um, it is a uh, podcast uh, a network with lots of shows, live shows. The one after this is about uh, New York. So you can go from the mountains to the most urban area in the, in the country and get a real wonderful, uh, broad experience of life in the United States. That's talkradio.nyc. And uh, I look forward to uh, talking to you next week. Uh, on, it's always on Tuesdays from 6 to 7 p.m. And I want to thank my guest again, Janet McHugh, and uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you.